Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Obadiah. That's the next one. And there's only one chapter. And there's only 21 verses. Obadiah. As we look at this little book of Obadiah, let's notice the very first verse by way of opening remarks. It says, The vision of Obadiah, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. Uh, first of all, Obadiah is a name that is shared by many in the Old Testament. There's more than one. And uh, so we have a hard time of really identifying this particular Obadiah. Some have claimed one thing and some another. But there's no definite conclusion as to who uh, this Obadiah is. Uh, we remarked in a, I believe in the book of Amos somewhere, or in a message we had uh, just a short while back. I forget what. Oh yeah, I know what it was now. It's the, it was the message we brought on the widow's oil being multiplied. And uh, we talked about uh, uh, a certain one that was able to help uh, the uh, various ones that were in need of the prophets the sons of the prophets, and that the Obadiah could have been one that was very generous. It, it may be this one, it may be another one. was very generous in helping out uh, the sons of the prophets in their needs and in their ministry. And he would not, uh, the particular one we're talking about, would not accept the help of Ahab, the king of Israel at that time, to do that because he didn't want to use uh, such a man as Ahab was to to try to minister to those others that were in need. But anyway, be that as it may, we still do not know who this Obadiah is. And there's no conclusion as to all the... You can study all the commentaries you want to, and they'll all come up with a different one, or do like I've just mentioned tonight, they really don't know. And we don't know. But it says, The vision of Obadiah, uh, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Now, we're going to talk about Edom. And we're going to have to look at some scripture references in our lesson tonight because uh, uh, this is a, a very wonderful study and yet it's going to be difficult for us to understand without looking at some references. And we'll try to give you those references as we go along. And I would hope that I could cover this book in one lesson, but I don't know. It may be doubtful that we can cover it all in one lesson. So when we... Look at this first verse, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Now notice the word Edom. We have to study some things about Edom and find out uh, the history in order to understand uh, this book at all. First of all, let me give you, before we go into the fact of Edom, let me give you a threefold division of this little book. And we'll talk about verses 1 through 9, Edom's humiliation and ruin. That's all it is. There's three places. Edom's humiliation and ruin. And then the second thought starts with verse 10 through 16. And it's Edom's sin against Israel and the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is mentioned. It doesn't mean there's sin against the day of the Lord, but Edom's sin against Israel and the subject of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. That's verses 10 through 16. And then verses 17 through 21, the balance of the book uh, in the, of the uh, chapter says, 
the kingdom uh, and the restoration of Israel. The kingdom and restoration of Israel. That's verses 17 through 21. That's about as simple a way as we can divide this little book. Uh, Edom's humiliation and ruin, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Edom's sin against Israel and the day of the Lord, 10 through 16. Then the kingdom and restoration of Israel, verses 17 through 21. Now then, that is the division that we'll try to follow. And in order to understand Obadiah's prophecy, Edom's origin and history must be taken into consideration. The Edomites were the offspring of Esau. And that's very important. And remember of Esau and Jacob, it was said of Esau, it was said of him that Esau, the elder, should serve the younger. Jacob was the younger of these two, Jacob and Esau. Many of you remember the story and of the, of the history of these two boys and how that... Uh, there was a conflict between them all of their lives. So the Edomites were the offspring of Esau. And the character of Esau was soon manifested, and his offspring soon became powerful. Now look at Genesis chapter uh, 36. We'll read of Esau, the generations of Esau. Genesis chapter 36, if you will. In fact, there are several things in Genesis chapter 36 we'll uh, look at, but I want you to notice, especially in verse one, if you have it. Now these are the generation generations of Esau, who is Edom. It explains it right there. It states the fact that it, who is Edom. Chapter thirty-six of Genesis, verse one. Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Now there 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 were dukes and there were national chiefs. They're prominently mentioned. And long before Israel had kings, Edom had such rulers as dukes and and kings themselves. In fact, if you drop on down to verse uh, 31 in the same chapter, it says, And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. So the children of Israel were not the first of, uh, that had the kings. We're not talking about heathen nations now. We're talking about of, uh, of God's people. And Edom here is included. But it says, and these are the kings of, that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. That's chapter 36, verse 31. And in Exodus chapter 15, we read of the dukes in Edom being amazed. And in Numbers 20, we read of the king of Edom. And we read of his outrageous behavior toward the king of Edom. It's recorded in Numbers 20, verses 14 through 21. And uh, they would not let the children of Israel pass through their land. They would not let them have any food or drink. And though the children of Israel promised not to drink the waters in the territory of Edom when they were coming out of bondage, Edom refused to give Israel passage while Israel turned meekly away from Edom. And thus Edom was branded and branded itself as the enemy of the people of God. And they had an undying hatred for the sons of Jacob. They had an envious dislike of the people of God, and later was attacked by Saul and conquered by David, for David, by Joab. So it was his general, so to speak. And during the reign of Jehoram, they revolted and gained independence. And when Judah and Israel began to decline, Edom became more and more arrogant and rejoiced in the evil which came upon the people of God. They rejoiced what, what happened to Israel. That's a terrible thing to rejoice over the calamity of someone else. In fact, we're warned in the Bible not to do that when some, over the fall of another. 
whoever they may be. Or however you may feel that they deserve what has come upon them. We are not to do that. Their dwelling places were cut in the cliffs of the rocks, of sandstone, rocky mountains, were habitations well suited for their warlike character. They were warlike people, and it gave them the shelter that they needed. And they're mentioned in verse 5 as dwelling in the cliffs of the rock. If you look there in verse 5, I believe it is, it says, If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou, thou cut off? Would, would they uh, not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to... No, that's not the verse. It's verse 3. It's verse 3 instead of 5. It says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, thus saith in his heart, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? They were very uh, boastful about their position. And so we find that they were of such that were lifted up with pride. It said that the ruins of Petra still bear witness to its former Grandeur, the wickedness of Edom continued. And when the Chaldeans came to destroy Jerusalem, they also seemed to have shut, shut them out and shown their hatred for them. And we read in Psalm, if you will, uh, 137, verse 7, it says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raz it, raz it, even the foundation thereof. They were also in evidence during the Maccabean period and later in the person of Herod the Great, an Edomite. You know the Herods were Edomites in the days of Jesus, the ones that persecuted Jesus, and they reigned in Jerusalem. And so, when we study this history, we'll find a lot of things concerning Edom that we need to take into consideration and find that uh, they certainly are the ones that uh, are lifted up with pride and the fall that comes to them is well deserved. Let's read it verse by verse and we'll get some thoughts about it. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Now, why were they despised so? <clears throat> it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. And pride does bring deception, doesn't it? There were four plunderings of Jerusalem in which the Edomites took part. Four times in the Old Testament. You have in the reign of Jeroboam. In fact, that's mentioned in Amos chapter 1, verse 6. If you look at uh, Amos chapter 1, in verse 6 it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom, to deliver them up to Edom. Amos mentions it. The Chronicles mentioned it in the days of Amosiah. And in the reign of Ahaz, Chronicles, I can give you these references, but it'd just be uh, looking from one reference to another in the Chronicles of the Kings. And then in the reign of Zedekiah, all these in Second Chronicles 15, in Second Chronicles 28, in Second Chronicles 36, various verses, 15, 28, and 36, but... We won't take time to divide all those verses because that would take a great deal of time to get into that. So look at the context again and let's see what we have. It says in verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So they were lifted up with pride. You know the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction 
and the Holy Spirit before fall. And if there ever were a proud race, these were. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, in verse 4, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. God promised to bring them down. So we're talking about their humiliation and their ruin. And then he says in verse 5, If these came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? Now you, you see, uh, uh, how are his hidden things sought up? So what is saying here, that they wouldn't even leave any gleanings. Would they not leave some grapes? The last part of verse 5. Notice how merciless they were. Last part of verse 5. It says, If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? In the Old Testament, there were, uh, was a certain law in Israel that uh, in the vineyards or in the fields, you were to leave a certain amount of gleanings for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the stranger. Remember, Ruth the Moabitess of a cursed race. The Ammonites and the Moabites were two that were cursed. Remember, descendants of the, uh, of the children of Lot by illegitimate relationship with his daughters, the Ammonites and the Moabites. But Ruth was a Moabitess, and she was out of the congregation of God due to the fact that she was of the cursed a race because of the sins of the father. And it was brought down to her. And God said that an Ammonite and a Moabite shall not enter in the congregation of the Lord unto the tenth generation. But Ruth, in the days of Boaz, the days of the judges, when the judges ruled, Ruth came back at a particular time, and we cannot go and give you the whole history of why and how, because that would be another sermon in itself, but she came back and she found a place of gleaning in the field of Boaz, didn't she? And as she gleaned, oh, Boaz was of such a type of Christ that he said to his servants, he says, let fall for her some handfuls on purpose. Not only leave the corners of the field for her to glean, but you leave some extra. That's like the Lord, isn't it? To give us extra and above what we have to claim. And then, of course, Boaz brought her into a relationship with himself by grace because she couldn't find uh, under the law, she was not entitled to anything. But under grace, and by his grace, she was brought into a relationship with Boaz. And uh, she married Boaz. And of course, in the line of, of the history of Christ, she had, if you look in the book of Ruth, the last part, I want you to get something. In the book of Joshua Judges Ruth, the very last part of it, I want you to listen to this. Begin with verse 18. Uh, well, verse 17. It says, And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Pharaohs. Pharaohs begat Hezram, and Hezram begat Ram, and Ram begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Naasson, Naasson begat Salmon. Now, look. And Salmon begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So all through here you find that uh, in verse 10 it says, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mahon, have I purchased to be my wife, as Boaz purchased her to be his wife. And by grace took her into his family. So what we're saying is that 
the, the people that respected the law back here in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 5, or in the fifth verse you might say, there's only one chapter, it says, would they not leave some grapes or gleanings for those that, you know, it means that those that had need. How are the kings, verse 6, how are the kings of Esau searched out? How are, are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, look at this, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? In Job's day, the wise men were claimed to be of uh, this particular area. In fact, Job mentions the wise men of Edom or Esau. And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So we said that this first section that we talked about has to do with with uh, Esau's humiliation and their ruin. They're going to be cut off. Now, we're going to see, beginning with verse 10 through 16, Edom's sin against Israel, and then the mention of the day of the Lord. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee. That's verse 10. And thou shalt be cut off forever. For thy violence, her sin of violence against her brother, comes into special remembrance. And on account of it, or this violence, shame would cover them, and they would be cut off forever. And when Jerusalem was in trouble, and the Philistines and the Arabs plundered the city. They stood on the other side and revolted. More than that, they rejoiced in the plundering of the city. And this was after the Babylonians came against Jerusalem. Edom Edom rejoiced when the Babylonians came. And they spoke uh, proudly about someone else's, about Israel's uh, captivity. You know, the practical lesson for you and I, we should never speak proudly about someone else's calamity. And that's what they did. They didn't care. They stretched out their hands for the possession of God's people. They wanted to take what they had. And they placed themselves at the crossroad to cut off the fugitives and delighted to deliver up into the hands of their enemies the remnant that was left of Edom. I mean of Israel. We're going to find that this will be repeated again in the end time. It's spoken of in the book of Zechariah in the way of a prophecy. But let's look at this verse by verse. It says in verse 10, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob... Shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. You just came, you became just like one of the enemies, allied with the ones that were against them. But thou shouldest not have looked, look. God tells them, Obadiah is saying what they should not have done. Thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother and the day that he became a stranger. There's one thing. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Some people gloat over the, the fall of others and the calamities of others. Verse 13 says, Thou shouldest not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Take their spoil, take what they have. Have you ever heard of when people are down, others taking advantage because they're down and out? That's what they did because of the th- things that had happened to them. You know, 
Sometimes when uh, when someone is down, you'll find others just push them down further. You'll find others that are gracious and merciful and loving want to lift them up. We should be those that lift up instead of push down. When trouble comes to someone, I mean, the Bible says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there comes a time that every man has to bear his own burden. It's spoken of in the same passage of Scripture. But then we're to help bear those burdens if... if uh, but every man, it, that verse, Galatians 6, if you, is where I'm quoting, it shows that every man is ultimately responsible for himself. But it does show that we're responsible. Like, uh, you remember Cain and Abel? And Cain says, am I bro- my brother's keeper? Well, we are, in a sense. And yet your brother is his own responsibility, too. Look in Galatians chapter 6. I believe you'll find that that's what it teaches there. Galatians, the 6th chapter. I want you to look carefully at this. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? Drop down to verse 4 and 5. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden." See those two things? Ultimately, every man is responsible for himself. But, in the case of someone's need, we're responsible for one another, too. So, in a sense, we are our brother's keeper. And you know, Jesus taught that about the Good Samaritan. He says, who is thy neighbor? The man that had fallen among thieves, the priest and the Levite, they didn't know them. Neither did this Samaritan that passed by. But he says, that's your neighbor. And so Jesus taught us the lesson there of who is your neighbor. Back in Obadiah now, quickly and briefly, if you will. Notice in verse 13, Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my, of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither, verse 14 now, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So all of these things show their actions toward God's people. And he tells them what thou shouldest not have done from verse 12 on down through verse 14. Now verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Notice in verse 15. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. That's also the book of Galatians. Right on down from where we were studying. It says, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He says, Be not deceived. That's in the sixth chapter where we were studying a minute ago. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So here it says, As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. And verse 16 says, For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. So you see the outcome of it. The last part of this book, and you know, in order to really study it, we'd have to go to all these references I have jotted down, and it would take a lot of time, but I just wanted to kind of give you an overview of it tonight. And uh, it's such a small book that we would try to conclude it as well. But the last section of it, we have the kingdom and restoration of Israel beginning with verse 17. And this final section concerns this kingdom and the victory over the enemies 
and restoration of God's people. Mount Zion will come into its own in a future time. There will be deliverance. There will be holiness. And what God has promised to the remnant of His people, it will be accomplished in the last days. They will be a holy people, and then they will hold their possessions and all that God has promised them. And the house of Esau and Edom will be consumed, and there will be none remaining of Esau, while Israel shall occupy Edom's territory. And I want you to notice, begin with verse 17, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. This is the way it's going to happen in the future. There was a deliverance from Assyrian captivity, and there was also a deliverance from the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament. But here, we're talking about something, I believe, that possesses a future aspect of the kingdom and restoration of Israel in its final aspect. Just like we got to the end of the book of Amos, if you'll remember, we got to the end of that, and what happened? It showed one victorious wind-up. And we, we quoted uh, and referenced uh, Acts chapter 15, where it was brought into to uh, play that uh, James spoke of Israel's future and the, and the conversion of the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15 in our last lesson in the book of Amos. But notice this. It says, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. There's going to be a time they'll possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. See that? And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. There's going to be that judgment that will come. In verse 19 it says, And they that of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. So it's telling of all the various nations and people and things that will happen in the future. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites even to Zarephah, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is uh, Sahafrad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors, or deliverers, mentioned here, shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And this has reference, if you look at the division, to the future restoration, the kingdom and restoration of Israel. So you'll find that this book contains three things, basically. Edom's humiliation and ruin, verses 1 through 9. And then Edom's uh, sin against Israel. And then the mention of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in the prophets, we've already said in Amos and Joel, speaks of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we've defined that day in previous lessons as a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of gross, thick darkness and uh, that's the way it's spoken of, and it's a future day, has to do with the tribulation period. And the day of the Lord, all through, if you study the harmony of the prophetic word, each and every one of the prophets, and how this statement, the day of the Lord, you'll find that it always indicates a day of judgment, and a day of horror, a day of uh, darkness, and not a day of rejoicing, because it's a sad day. And it speaks of the day of Jacob's trouble that they'll be delivered out of. And we studied that in the book of Revelation. So the kingdom and restoration of Israel is this last section. Well, uh, this little book is a wonderful little book to study. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.